right, so here we have our second edition of this podcast, and I am joined here by Joey Smith from RightPoint. He's the Senior Director of Engineering at RightPoint. Uh, I'm Tad Reeves, uh, AM Architect, or some sort of individual like that, <laughs> Arbery Digital. And uh, we're going to be talking today about Adobe Experience Manager and whether or not uh, Adobe Experience Manager self-hosted or hosted not at Adobe is still a thing and whether or not it should be a thing. So, um, and uh, so I guess we can just kind of just dig right into this. Um, so first of all, so uh, super high level on Adobe Experience Manager. I think I want to just kind of talk through what, what it is, what it, sure. what it does, and um, why somebody should want to know about this at all. So um, I've got a little simplistic diagram here. And Joe, do you want to just give a quick overview on on the guts the guts of this, but also why 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 this any of this matters to anybody? Sure. So uh, at a, a high level, AEM or Adobe Experience Manager consists of these three layers that you're showing right here. You've got what's called an author, a publisher or publisher, and a dispatcher. So these these three pieces are used by or enable different parts of the web content management experience. Um, actually, I think one of the one of the neater parts or what I think is one of the better architected parts of Adobe Experience Manager is this idea that we've separated out authoring experience from the end user experience. Uh, you know, to this day when I still have to go back and occasionally work in somebody's WordPress or something and it just horrifies me. I'm like, why is the content <laughs> management part of the user experience? Like, it just doesn't make sense. So it in AEM, the author and the publish instance are both built by the same Java program. So it's a jar that's shipped from Adobe that, depending on how you start it, it takes what's called a run mode to say, am I the content management piece or am I delivering content to an end user? And then because it is Java and because it, the way, the nature of how an AEM page is built out of a bunch of dynamic components, they also tend to put it behind what they call a dispatcher, which is a, a proprietary module for the Apache HTTPD that is a reverse caching proxy with kind of a rudimentary WAF or web application firewall built into it. So you can say certain parts of the application are firewalled off or only accessible from certain clients or certain IP addresses and things of that nature. And then as people start to browse the website, it's building up an on-disk cache. And the publish instance and the author instance have this ability to go out and talk to that same dispatcher module and say, please invalidate the cache that you have on, on disk. I have newer content. There's also rules you can do, things like time-based and, and things like that. But the, the general concept is that you have this separation of concerns. I've got the author instance, which is where my employees, my content creation team goes into make new content in a component-based way. The publish instance, that is a rendering agent, or this job is just to render pages, and the dispatcher, which is a caching proxy server so that people aren't constantly getting every page rebuilt from scratch. We're able to say, you know what, this, part, this page is cacheable. Let's go ahead and serve that out of the cache. It's awesome. And I think that, that the, the dispatcher... And its flexibility, its simplicity, and the fact that you can have tons of them is is one of the things that, for the last decade plus, has been what makes AEM so attractive to 
to a lot of big companies with with uh, with potentially tons of traffic, is so you can be super flexible about how that is delivered and how much of that is always going to be dynamic and how much of that is uh, cacheable in a really high performance server. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, you know, it used to be a thing. My friend Pete and I, who also works at RightPoint, we used to kind of tour the country talking to AEM user groups to say, boy, if you're not building your content so that it can be cached, you're missing the boat on AEM developer. Uh, the, the title of that was Develop with the Dispatcher in Mind. I think you can probably still find that podcast out on the internet if you Google for it. So you were a prolific podcaster back in the day. We, we used to do a lot more, uh, you know, one of those things where at the end of the day job gets in the way and right. the, the content creation isn't part of what I do, uh, you know, for my paycheck. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay, good. Well, um, yeah. And, and that, and that caching too is, is one of these things that when it's, um, it's very easily fiddled with by the development crew, it's one of these things that you can have a lot of business confidence in also, because I've, I've been on teams and, and in businesses where they had had a lot of problems with caches being invalidated at higher levels and at uh, your content distribution network and so forth where you say, hey, I put out new content, but it's still not being shown when you have uh, ha have the ability to really finely control and instantly control that that caching tier, then it uh, it makes for a lot And, and to enable the, the content creation team, right? To, right? to control that caching. So I can I can give them the ability to flush the dispatcher in certain regions in a controlled manner so that way they don't have to be dependent on me to wait to invalidate their cache, but I don't have to be worried about them going out and invalidating, you know, the, the main corporate homepage and all of a sudden all of our published instances go down because we have no, no valid cache anywhere. So it does allow that very fine grained control and you can say, you know what, we've got a few users that are trusted. They know the platform well enough that we're going to give them that ability. Yeah. Well, so I, so I want to move on to one other diagram here. So. And this gets more complicated, and, but I think that this might segue as, as to why people don't uh, like doing this all by themselves anymore uh, in, in a lot of cases, uh, because it, it can get really complicated really fast. So one of the things I guess to bring up first is that uh, the, the publisher and the author that you brought up are both Java application servers, and they're historically uh, not terribly simple to set up and definitely not simple to, to debug. The other thing too, and that we, I'm not showing this on these diagrams because it'd get way too messy, way too fast, is that in every single implementation of this, it's not, it's never just sitting in a vacuum. It's not just itself. Almost always it's connected to something, sure. usually many somethings on the internal corporate side, whether it's a legacy CMS or some sort of search tool or uh, the, the commerce system or wh whatever, whatever it is. And it's got, it's, it's got its fingers in all kinds of different things. And there's all kinds of ways that that can make things get vastly more complicated to run. But, um, but this, this, this diagram gives a little bit of the, the way that you might see it typically set up or, or maybe two, three years ago would typically see it set up before people started, uh, having an option to, to have a cloud service to, to migrate this to. Um, go ahead. Yeah. So I, I was just going to add that, you know, as, as you were mentioning, there's a lot of, when you get AEM, you're probably not going to say, you know what, we're just going to use this thing out of the box. It, it's not WordPress, right? It, what it is, is it's a platform for building an extensive content management that exactly matches your business rules and has all of your businesses integrations 
that you want in one place, as opposed to something that's maybe a little more simple and a little more direct, but doesn't have the the extensiveness and the capabilities that that AEM has. And one of the things that you know that I should have mentioned earlier that that I think a lot of people struggle with when they're first exposed to Adobe Experience Manager is it's not your traditional three-tier architecture where you've got the application layer, the database, and 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 then some kind of you know rendering. In AEM, the applic the application state is stored in the embedded database, which is the Java Content Repository or JCR, and that is part of the application state. So the the, the pages and things like that, you, you can't just say, oh, you know what, my my database is going a little bit slow. Let me shard the database and you know add some more uh, RDS or something like that to it. Because it is using this kind of in-application database, it becomes a little more difficult to scale. You either have to scale vertically, meaning make our instances larger, add more CPU, add more RAM, things of that nature. Or, you know, you have some limited ability to scale horizontally, but that has licensing implications. You have to look yep. at what you paid Adobe for. You know, they, they've only allowed you to use a certain number of production instances, and that that can get pretty expensive pretty quickly. That's right. And that's where you get really... So so what you said, too, about how um, everything is in this Java content repository and the application state. Well, the, that application state includes all of the installed code, uh, the running state of that code. It includes every piece of content and what its current status is. Is it, is it visible to the public? Is it only, is it, is it, um, is it there, but it's not visible to the public? Uh, how many revisions does it have? Uh, you know, all, everything about it, uh, what users were created, what ex possibly external facing users were created, uh, and there, and how, the like yeah. how did they, yeah, exactly. So all these things are, is all in this Java content repository. And so, what you can do, I mean, you, yes, you can. These pu these uh, published here servers that are that are the application server that renders this out to the public. You can go and copy paste those, but because of the fact that every single one of those has all of that data that it has to uh, contain in order to be a complete server, uh, those servers are gigantic. Sometimes the, the 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 small ones, the little itty bitty ones, are generally around five hundred gigs. That and the bigger ones can get much bigger uh, to, to, to do what we're talking about multiple terabytes and those are ones too that, that you then say well can't we auto scale like even even let's just say licensing wasn't a problem because you generally pay for every single one of those that you have that is, it, unless you have a site license which is exorbitant uh then you're you're paying for every single one of those application servers so let's just say licensing was out of the out of the picture and you can do it even still if you have a, a one terabyte or two terabyte or five terabyte server you can't just copy paste that. And there's no cloud anything that, that, that can make it go any faster to when you're saying, yeah, I am actually going to duplicate a five terabyte volume or a two terabyte volume and make a bunch more of these things. So it, it makes, it makes scaling and applying, even if you're hosting in the cloud, if you've moved it off of your on-premise location and you're hosting in the cloud, it makes that really trying to, because of the fact that all of that has to all be together in the same repository. Yeah, and there are some tricks that as AEM matured a little bit, there are some kind of workarounds and different things that you can use. They have different backend engines that you can use and stuff like that. But even those all come with their own significant costs in both management and performance that, you know, there, there's never really been just kind of this like magic wand that we can wave and say, oh, my AEM is now really scalable and I can 
auto scale on demand, e even the few customers I've worked with that did pay for that site license, they have to very carefully consider when are we going to actually bother to spin up a new publish instance? When, when are we going to actually resize our author instance or maybe even consider sharding our author instance? There are right. so many risks and challenges that come with all of that. And that so and, and the author instance too is and, and that's I think um, a point that is going to take us on to just kind of the what makes having a cloud service so cool is um, uh, is on the author instance there has never I mean for for the history of this product and this product has been around since you know in in, in general usage for whatever fifteen years or something like that or or more uh, and in the history of the product there's never been a practical way to horizontally scale the product for most people. There is, in some cases, there was a, there was the ability to use a Mongo database behind it for, for very large, um, where you have like more than whatever, a couple hundred concurrent users, you could pay for the extra license that, that instead of using on disk storage, you're using a Mongo database to, to store all the backend things. Uh, there was a performance implication to that too, is mostly for high availability that you're doing that, but, um, there's never really been a, a practical way. So that if you. Let's just say you have a use case like uh, you've you've got a big, very uh, image and video driven website with a lot of graphics and a lot of lot of video, a lot of stuff that where people are uploading big big assets all the time. You know they take take you know they do a video shoot and you know there's another 50 gig worth of video files that they're just slapping onto this thing that is then being transcoded and getting ready for for viewing and so forth. All of that has to happen in one great big author computer that sometimes is like whatever 30 cpus and a you know 128 gig of ram or something like that. there's no way to do it than this this uber megatron author machine that is there because there's simply no way to, to to piece and part that practically like you said there's 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 funny business you can do where you can offload some of those workflows but yes. for many people that wasn't practical and there's a huge devops overhead then to trying to make any of that kind of stuff work So I guess, I guess we can then take that to the cloud service because so about three years ago, so January, 2020 is when this was unleashed upon the world. Uh, it was hinted upon earlier at, uh, uh the adapt to conference, but it, it was, it was publicly unleashed upon the world and in 2020, it's been being improved since then. And it is a, basically the same things as we were talking about before. And almost uh, almost identical functionality in term and, and from from a user's perspective when they're looking at it, it looks just like AEM 6.5. Just it looks looks just like for the most part uh, what they're what they're used to, and it does all the same things except for it's a lot more cloud friendly. So um, I guess I could talk. Uh, yeah, go ahead. One thing one thing we probably should have mentioned is that uh, as of the time of this. Uh, cloud service release, Adobe also announced that the current version of the product, AEM 6.5, would be the last uh, version of AEM that's released. They've, they've released service packs and hot fixes to address security concerns and some minor uh, feature upgrades, but for the most part, they've said, you know, there's, there's not going to be a whole lot of development going on on the, on the AEM 6.5 version of the product, all of our engineering efforts going towards the cloud service. That's right. Yep, uh, I mean we're we're coming right upon uh, the Adobe Summit time, and usually right around Adobe Summit every year they've been releasing a new version um, all the way up until 2020, and uh, so it was a six six one six two six three six four six five, and then they just said, "Yep, we're not going to do this anymore." 
uh, we're, we're, but, but the other thing too, is, is that all of the maintenance agreements and so forth that you usually had to worry about in terms of, I gotta, I gotta upgrade to the next version because, uh, they're, they're, they're deprecating the one that I'm on. Uh, Adobe did also say, okay, since six, five is the last one. And since people are going to have notable challenges, there will be challenges. There are significant hurdles in some cases to being able to take an on-premise or in-network set of servers and move them to a cloud service. Uh, there, there's, um, they said, okay, good. We're, 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 we'll, we'll give you all the time you need, basically. So they've been- Lots, lots of runway. Lots of runway, exactly. Lots of runway. And I guess it, 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 that, that, and that's gonna be part of, part of what we're gonna talk about in the second half of this too, is, is what, what are those cases that are still, make it really difficult for you to, to migrate over to this. But I guess w what I should talk about first is why, why, why what problems does this solve? Um, I guess above and beyond the, 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 um, what a lot of times is just talked about in the marketing material, what, what is the, what, are, what are the things that this solves? Uh, one of those that I can just, just as a segue from the last slide is there is practical automatic out of the box without you having to do anything else about it, auto scaling with this for the author, which is, which is a huge deal. This is something that I've, I've put all kinds like as a, as a systems engineer, I put so much effort in trying to figure out ways around scaling issues. And I've made some of the largest computers I have ever worked on just that was authors. Like the, I've never, like the largest computer I've ever worked on is one of these assets authors that is just like, I, I tried my best. There's no other way around it. Just going to make the biggest, fattest, uh, you know, AWS instance that I can provision. So, um, but there's now, now there's auto scaling and it's out of the box. You don't have to do anything to configure it. You don't have to enable it. It's just a part of the product. Um, and the same with on the user facing side, the publish facing side is a, is automatic out of the box auto scaling. So, uh, it, and, and because of the fact there's, there, there's some mumbo jumbo behind the scenes that, that, uh, I don't think we're going to bore the audience with right now, but there was a separation of concerns between the factory code, the stuff that actually runs the product and all of the content which is alike between all of the different, uh, uh, the, th the things that are mutable, things that can get updated while, while the application is running things like if a guy wants to publish a new version of the homepage or something like that, obviously the application shouldn't have to be restarted for that. But if there's new code or new, new factory code that needs to go out, then that gets stored in a separate location. Now, one other thing that I think is important to note in the AM as a cloud service model. And one piece that I'm still trying to fully implement for some of my customers who are stuck in the on-premise world is that they separated out the concerns of working on the web content management side and ingesting assets. So you talked earlier yes. about that. People got to do a video shoot and they have, you know, these massive videos or they'd go out and do a, a photo shoot. One of my clients, they create about a hundred gigabytes of new assets every day. Right. And for them, as you you know, as you said, that's a, we've literally gone to the largest size of machine that AWS makes, and they're still like, why is this thing taking so long to ingest my photo shoot, right? Whereas Adobe has said, you know what, within the cloud service version of the product, we're going to split those two things out from each other. There's really not necessarily a good reason to tie those two pieces together. And so they've created what they call the assets microservice that allows you to more directly manipulate and work with the assets without impacting the people who are trying to create content and consume those assets. Absolutely. And, and that was one of the first things that, that, uh, when the, when the cloud service first was released 
and uh, and, it, and and the sites, the 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 the, the website, the, the the sites creation portion of it still had a lot to be desired. The assets use case was immediately like, okay, why would I ever make this yeah. by myself ever again? Because I mean, like 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 you were saying, too, I, I had one of my customers that was a big AM assets customer. We had to do a, a huge migration from other asset uh, asset management systems into this. So it was like multiple terabytes that were going into this, and it was so fast to get them in. Uh, I, we were, I was just getting, I was uploading it a lot of times from my desktop, uh, or, or in some cases from the customer's network, and I was getting wire speed on the way in. We're talking, you know, five, five hundred megabit, easy. Just, just, it's just hauling in, and then just renders it, and it's and it's through without any impact whatsoever to the people who are working in the authoring environment because it's just it's going to these microservices that are just spinning up in Azure and then plopping the metadata and so forth into AEM. So, um, so, and, and one of the other things too with, with that is that uh, Adobe has gone a lot further on those microservices with, with other ways of, of plugging additional functionality in there. Like uh, as an example, you look at what, uh, what they've just, with the uh, Photoshop APIs, I don't know if you've seen that recently, but yeah, it's just fabulous. You basically are taking all the power of Lightroom and of the Photoshop desktop application or anything that you may have previously scripted with Photoshop actions uh, as a designer, uh, like like if you get you know a layered file and you've got uh, French, Italian, German, Spanish, Hungarian, whatever versions of a product, and you need to flip it out, throw a drop shadow on it, and then and then save out a PNG and a couple of JPEGs or something like that. That all can be done as part of an a of an AEM asset ingestion pipeline right now. It's it's. It's a completely new world. All that stuff used to, I think there was Mac pros that were under desks that I used to see doing that kind of stuff, you know, and uploading them. But it's, it's that, that's all part of the cloud service now. Yeah, I'm excited to see where they go with that, that when they start to expand that beyond the Photoshop, for example, InDesign. Yeah. I have a lot of customers that are heavy users of InDesign and are using AEM with InDesign server today. Yes. To try and automate some of these workflows. And they're like, chopping at the bit to get to something like that Photoshop API where they're just like, look, we just want to render 27 versions of this PDF in the, the main languages that we work with. And, you know, all the content exists. It's all in different things in the in the InDesign file and with InCopy to manage the languages. Can't you just put those together for us? Yeah. And, the, and the commerce, you know, uh, Adobe Commerce or Magento is what they used to call it. Thing has been rebranded. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not current with the yeah. branding stuff. <laughs> but uh, you know, better integrations there, right? Like uh, integrating AEM with the commerce platform was always kind of a pain point. It was really difficult and hard to do. And there were even vendors who sprung up in the market to try and make that stuff a little bit easier. Right. And now Adobe just saying, you know what? We're just going to own this. We just need to make this something that's part of the product. That's right. Totally. Okay. So, um, so. It so there's there's scalability. The other thing that you get with Adobe owning this now, because one of the more painful things about being a systems guy, being a project manager, being a product owner of an AEM site, one of the most difficult things was the fact that you were basically always in an upgrade cycle. It, se it always seemed like only about a third of the time were you doing new development and like, oh, let's just oh, let's do, let's do a you know fluffy new front end of our site or something like that. We don't actually have an upgrade right now. But it seemed like the rest of the time you were in the middle of an upgrade cycle. Yeah, we're still doing a six six two to six three upgrade or something like that. And this is one of the major goals of this was to make and, and this is Adobe's goal all along in this to make it so that you didn't 
so that upgrades were as painless as they could possibly be. And in this case, they're mostly automatic. And, um, and, and, and for the most part, they're doing so much testing behind the scenes and they've got uh, customer like kind of canary instances and so forth that they've got actual customer code that they go and they take the new version and they run it on that customer code and they see if it's spitting out any errors and if it's okay before they release it into the wild for the rest of us. Yeah, de definitely is a, is a very cool thing. And like you said, I saw that same pattern with many of my customers where, especially when Adobe was releasing a, a major version every summit, that you'd have to go out, well, I should say a minor version, right. every summit, and you'd, you'd be like, okay, let's test all of our components against 6.3, and let's test them all against 6.4, and let's run the, the upgrade readiness tool that tells us if our components are using outdated APIs. And uh, But... You know, there there is a little bit of a downside potentially to some people here. I've, I've had multiple customers that are on the AEM as a cloud service that are feeling the pain of, well, Adobe just upgraded me, and it seems I was using some API that either changed or is deprecated, and now I'm seeing impact on my on my production website because you know you mentioned that they they do have customer canary instances that they're doing that, but right. that's largely the really big customers, right? If you're if you're a, a little fish, you you sometimes are just you know what, it, it went live and <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> you better get your website fixed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, which I guess, I guess that then we can, I guess that segues well into, into uh, talking about the, 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 the pros and the cons of this, because we, we've talked that there, there are some very obvious pros. The scalability is a huge pro. The fact that, that, that you don't have to worry about scalability is a huge pro. Um, the fact that you're on a constantly, you're like once you have gotten yourself onto this platform, you're constantly on a vendor-supported so, vendor version of the platform. You don't have to worry about the version that you just purchased is going out of support in a year and you got to have to worry about spinning up a team to get you onto the next one. So that that's nice. Um, there, there are um, IT overhead considerations which makes this attractive for a lot of teams especially if you've got a, a developer or a front-end heavy team where you're mostly looking at new feature development and uh, you don't necessarily have a big DevOps crew to support this. And if you can not have to pay a DevOps crew, which they're not cheap at all, and because of the fact that this is such an exclusive product with such a, a difficult runway to get in on it's not like a, something that you know where there's a free version where people can get their hands on it like wordpress where anybody with a website has used wordpress everybody like almost everybody in the it world has spun up a wordpress in environment at some point in their lives right but whatever only half a percent of them have spun up an am environment or less right so so not having those devops guys that you have to pay is a is a is a big deal in some cases or, or even if you have a DevOps team, but they're just never going to be the experts in AEM because it right. is so different from every other product that they're used to using. Right. Yep, that's true. Uh, and then the other part of this is uh, setting up a really repeatable and safe and high-velocity continuous integration framework for the environment. And that is something where... Uh, if, some of the largest companies that I've dealt with are still deploying manually by deploying, you know, to each individual server themselves and are still manually making changes to Apache and so forth. Like it's, it is a, 
it's a historically hit and miss type of a thing. You just you have to have VPs who say, you know what, nope, this is getting automated uh, yeah. because the, the other ones just like, yeah, it costs a lot of money. Yeah, I guess we're not going to do that right now. And um, so the thing that you do get out of the cloud service is that there's only one way to get code into the cloud service. It's um, Adobe's Cloud Manager, which is a, a web-based um, set of APIs, but basically a front end that lets you go and get all your code in. There's only one ingest, only one ingestion mechanism to get the code in there and to get it tested and so forth. But what you you get that as a part of the product. You don't have to design your own CI/CD framework. It it is only there is only one way. So if you have a particular set of requirements, you still it doesn't mean you don't have to do any of those things uh, of, of designing your own CI/CD around it. Because if you have particular requirements, you've got security scanning tools and things that you have to get in, you're still going to have to integrate that somehow, but, um, but you're not required to just to get basic automation. Like I want to deploy with the push of a button and I want to be able to roll back or, you know, something like that. If, if that, that all like blue green deployment is a part of this where it deploys the new live stuff. while while the current stuff is still being served. And, and they do have, in addition to that CI CD pipeline, they have things like sonar cube and, some things like that where they've set up some quality gates and things like that, that even a lot of the customers who have gotten to the, the automation pieces maybe don't have the sophistication level of AEM as a product that the Adobe engineering team does to say, we can very clearly define some SOAR cube rules that identify patterns that we see thousands of customers misusing, right? Because we have so many different, you know, interactions with customers. And so, you know, I can write Sonar Cube rules for myself, for my my own implementation of AEM, but the broader the experience you have there, the, the more powerful something like that becomes. Right. All right. So so let's um so let's just then so it the cloud service does a bunch of awesome stuff. So there are, however, lots of companies that are still running AEM themselves, either via a vendor like 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 yours and mine. Uh, or they're just doing it all in-house. And why is that? What, why, why, why are they still running? Like, is it, is it just that they haven't gotten around to it or are there legitimate reasons still at this point, you know, because the, the product has gotten, you know, three years to mature at this point, yeah. are there legitimate reasons that, that, that customers still have, uh, or things that, 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 that cloud service, um, is still on the roadmap to be able to tackle use cases that, that it still has to be able to tackle. Well, so, I mean, before we even get into the use cases, there are some, just some practical considerations that I hear from some of my customers that, that I think maybe ties into some of this. So for example, I have one customer that did pay Adobe for a site, site license mm -hmm. of AEM five years ago. And they've said, there's no way we're going away from, we, we are, we just dropped this huge chunk of money on what was supposed to be our platform for the next 20 years. Right. And now they want us to turn around and look and pay them again to go to an annuity model, um, which, you know, is, is great for Adobe and it's great for the platform as a whole to have that constant revenue stream coming through. But, you know, this customer has said, we just, we've, we've got to squeeze out the value that we can out of the existing costs or the existing expenditure that we did to, to get this far today. Yep. And, you know, on top of the, you know, I may already have AEM costs. Then there's the, what's the cost to do the engineering? How much work is it going to take me 
you know, this, as much as we all like to pretend like developers are perfect and they always do exactly what they're supposed to do all the time, there are a significant number of the pieces of AEM that in the cloud service model that you've been told, this is off limits. This is taboo. You don't touch this anymore. This right. section of the application is read-only now, and you have to go re-architect the way you've maybe designed some of your solutions in the past to say, oh, it can work in that in that cloud model. Now, not to say it's ever impossible. I haven't seen a case yet where it was impossible to get there, but sometimes it's cost prohibitive to do Correct. that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's, you know, you and I have talked before about, you know, the data residency problems. Uh, one of the clients that I have is very, very cautious about ever putting any of their content out on the public website. They use AEM strictly as an internal platform to manage the assets and the sites that consume those assets, that information is never released to a, a public website. It is for internal production use only. Right. And while design teams can go in there and pull and they may publish a magazine that has some of those images in it, they don't have any reason or don't, you know, today see any reason for making that stuff available to other people. And so they're, they're so cautious and they're so careful that they say, well, because this is only internal stuff, we don't want it out in the public cloud. We have it in our own AWS that we own. Uh, actually, in fact, that customer uses a lot of, uh, I can't remember what it's called now. It's one of the CNCF platforms um, where they basically are running AWS API compatible things on. Right. Yeah. On-premise hardware. Right. Right. But it's physical gear. Yeah. yeah. Bare, they bare they, they gear. can walk down. They can walk down and reboot a server. They, right. They can... <laughs> Yeah. So, so, so from a data residency standpoint there, cause that, cause that, that, that's, that's a big deal. And this, and that is not, that's not everybody. Like you're, a, you know, a up and coming footwear company or something like that. Um, uh, and you, and you're just, you're, you're primarily, you're, you're media driven. You've got, you have to have excellent, like cutting edge commerce. You need, uh, you got lots and lots of media video stuff like that, that, you know, data residency is not, you know, and, and security is not necessarily on your top three or something like that. But one of the, one of the companies that did a lot of work for was a bank big bank in Europe and, um, and data residency was a huge deal. Um, uh, and so there's nothing that you're going to do. Uh, there's no dog and pony show that you could do no silly dance that would convince that chief security officer any differently than, okay, if I say, go get the hard drive that has this thing on it, you go get that hard drive. You know what I mean? Like, the, or, or something like this, like, um, like, uh, a, um, uh, when they were released their quarterly reports. There was there was this whole there was this whole dance around releasing quarterly reports, whereby even like sysadmins, everybody was locked out of the system, so that nobody could uh, speculate on the data that was released in the quarterly report before the quarterly report was released. So, so having that get published through some um, you know workflow that would go through various clouds that that you know sure you're, you're you are taking the vendor's um, word that nobody could look at this on the way through, but could they look at it on the way through? Could, could somebody potentially speculate on this? And then if the, if the answer is yes, then the CSO is going to say, sorry, that's no good. It, it, we're, we're not going to do this. Um, it, additionally, the, all the data had to basically reside in EU. And that's one of the things that's very difficult. Um, because if you look at this, um, uh, uh, this, uh, diagram here, okay. So one of these things here, so you see this MongoDB portion of it, which is the AM author. So that MongoDB, I've got it on the diagram sitting at Adobe. That MongoDB is actually MongoDB Atlas, which is which is Mongo's host of product. 
So it's not even necessarily a hundred percent in Adobe's Adobe's control. Exactly. I mean, for for the most part it is, but it is, it, it, it is a separate product. So it's one of these things that is a, that, that could be a concern for somebody with very sensitive security requirements, like, like a bank or somebody that, um, where you're trying to, which is the, the complete other end of data residency, uh, which is China. Uh, China is, is its own thing. And if anybody who's ever trying to do anything with China, um, that is a, a seriously unique dance that you have to do in order to get things to work in China. Um, uh, so I put together a little diagram here. This is, I did for a blog post, but this just, just, just shows an example scenario. I was trying to show like, okay, what could you do? Like if you're trying to use AM as a cloud service, but you got to have stuff in China, AM as a cloud service doesn't work in China right now. It's uh, so most of the services, like I said, there's MongoDB Atlas, but there's most of the other services are all Azure services and they're not all available in China. Uh, and m- many of them aren't available in China. So you can't necessarily deploy in mainland China right now. So you can deploy around mainland China. You can deploy near mainland China. You can deploy to Singapore. You can deploy to Tokyo, but you can't deploy inside of the great firewall. And there are problems. Like if you want to do commerce, for example, in China, your servers, your gear has to be physically in the borders. If you're going to do payment processing, it has to be physically there. Uh, the, uh, the other things about like, if you're storing PII, it gets really gray as to like, whether or not it has to, like all of it has to be there. Um, does your author server have to be in China? It's also depending on what you've got on it. It's also gray, but it, it gets you into a set of really bizarre. So if you, so if you have a Chinese language site and you're selling to people in mainland China, like if you're like an auto brand or something like that, and you're using it because a lot of like, seems like almost every auto brand is on AEM right now. Yeah. Um, um, you know, your, your, your Teslas and Fords and GMs and so forth, they're all on AEM. Um, but if you're going to go and run a brand.cn, it's gotta be really tough to do that with AEM as a cloud service. You're going to need to do something like in this diagram here, you, where you're publishing out and replicating to a set of AEM publishers that are running AEM 6.5 code not the cloud service code and you're running those inside China and those are hooking directly to your commerce gear and so forth that are in China and that have that and that you're Chinese you've got a the thing called an ICP license that you have to get from the Chinese government all kinds of special regulatory stuff that you have to do that's all tied to that everything else there but then you're as an IT company you're making two different code bases and maintaining two different code bases or having to have a code base that works on both which is that's really not particularly easy yeah, and and while you while you said you know China is kind of the ten thousand pound gorilla here, you gave that example of you know there are EU laws around some of this sometimes where it says you know what that that information is not allowed to leave the European Union because it's got privacy information, it's got impact to EU citizens, so we can't have that hosted in the US and things like that. So yep. there's there's always the you know there are many factors that you have to consider when you're saying, well, is AEM as a cloud service right for me? I, I'm on AEM on-prem today. I, I need to look at going to a cloud service and pretty, pretty much any partner with Adobe is going to be willing and, and able to help guide you through that decision-making process, you know, and we, our, our bread and butter is making the customer, helping the customer get to the right decision. I shouldn't say making them make the right decision. We helped them get to the right decision. We have ways of making you talk. <laughs> Boy, if I could make customers make the right decision, something would go a lot easier. 
but you know, like, because we've done this for so many various, various different implementations and, and different things, we can say, well, you know, what I know about your situation, customer A, I can take the information from customer B through Z and I can apply that and bring it back and say, here's what this is probably going to mean to you cost wise, team wise, decision-making wise, and, and, and really help somebody get to that right. Well, you know, does this make sense for you right now? And that, that, that costs, um, so, so cost and team is it that that's a really nuanced question also, because if you take something like, like, like you take somebody who's running their own AM environment internally, right? So let's say they've got their own DevOps guys internally, they're running at a corporate data center. So they, so a lot of those costs are kind of obfuscated to them. They're, they're internalized costs that, that go into that, right? So that maybe they're not out of their marketing budget. They're not paying huge amounts of money to a third party hosted service, right? So you've got that and you're already, you've already got the sunk cost on your, and, and, um, you know, on, on the salaries of the, of the DevOps guys that you're paying right now. And you've got all kinds of internal, um, uh, systems that you still have to manage. You've got an internal Elasticsearch cluster, or you've got an internal, whatever database, or you've got some other, you know, like you know, set of legacy websites or whatever the other gear is that you're running is still going to have to be run. So you can't just say, all right, well, we're moving our AM to the cloud service. So you're all fired. Like it's, it's not going to work that way. Uh, because there's still all this other gear that still has to be maintained. So, so sometimes those costs, um, weighing the, weighing the cost benefits there of like saying, Hey, you know, the license, this license is a little bit more, but you don't have to pay to support this. Um, for some companies that's huge. Cause if that's the only gear, like, like, so, um, one of our, one of our, uh, customers was a brand new AM customer. They're, 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 they're brand new and their AM didn't really talk to anything. It was just AM. And so you know, they're just a perfect, a perfect one to move to the cloud service. Cause there's nothing else really. It's like, Oh, so there's, when you move there, you don't have to pay a guy to run it. Then good to we just, we'll just redirect it there. And now it's all one thing. Now you just focus on developing on it. It's perfect. It was just right. But for some of these other ones, it's super complex. Like, and like you said too, the, with the, with the, you know, the license that's already been acquired, if you just, if you just renewed your license, you've already bought it. And especially if your company is not. Um, it's not a marketing company. Like it's not a media company. Like, let's just say you've got like one of ours is a, uh, uh, they manufacture things like there's some uh, you know, parts, pieces, parts and stuff like that. Yes. They have to have all their, they've got 20,000 SKUs or 50,000 SKUs or whatever they've got. So there's a lot of stuff to handle. So yes, AM is the right fit for that, but it's their marketing budget isn't gigantic. So when you say, oh, okay, so it's going to be, you know, whatever, you know, this many hundred thousand dollars to to execute this move and this, this many hundred thousand dollars or, you know, half a million a year or something like that, that you go, I don't know that I got that, you know? <laughs> so it's, uh, it, there, it's definitely a, a process to weigh it there. Um, what have you seen in terms of, uh, in terms of internal, like back to the release process and, and, and the software development life cycle of, of some of these big companies being able to, whether or not they're able to, to meld that and move that to, to the new way in the cloud service. Well, so uh, a big piece of that is looking at our development pipeline and saying, you know, okay, so if we're going to say we're going to go from on-prem to the cloud service and it's going to take some amount, you know, I've, I've not seen one yet where they just said, uh, you, you, I think you said you've seen one, but I've, I certainly haven't seen one where they just said, just take the existing code base and deploy it to the cloud and everything just works, <laughs> right? Like there's always 90 days, isn't it? 90 days. That's all you need. 
we, we've, we've definitely done the 90 day thing a few <laughs> times, but you know, that's like a tough 90 days. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the things you have to look at is you say, I have to say, how much can I pause my existing pipeline to say, I'm going to take all of those developers and shift their focus and say, nope, I just need you guys to take that 90 day window or whatever and get out onto the cloud service. Or maybe you don't want to pause the existing pipeline and you want to try and grow the team. Uh, not something I would recommend because you know, that's going to, you're going to constantly be fighting like, oh, we're importing code. You guys are creating new things that we have to now, you know, migrate to the cloud service. So, you know, but there, I certainly have had a customer ask me about that. They said, well, what if we just add more developers? I'm like, oh boy, well, <laughs> let's, let's talk through what that means. <laughs> um, and, and like you said, you know, there, there is this kind of, you know, I always, in my mind, I always want to go back to Ruby on Rails as the example. You know, technologists out there who are listening to this were ever experienced Ruby on Rails. Ruby on Rails was an amazing product for building a website as long as the only things you ever needed out of a website were things that fit on the Rails, right? And that's why they called it on Rails. It's on Rails. You, you don't get to change a whole lot. You know, you're not supposed to be changing things. You're supposed to be doing things that are, hey, you know what? I did a blog in 15 minutes. That's great. I don't need a blog. I need an e-commerce website. Well, that's a whole different story, right? Right. AEM as a cloud service has a very similar feel to it where, you know, they've got this development pipeline. They've got these DevOps practices. And as long as you are 100% on board with the way Adobe is doing everything, great. That's wonderful. But if you have any slight, even slight differences of opinion on the way some of these things should be done, there's going to be a lot of organizational change. There's going to be a lot of just inertia, so to speak, yeah. of, of saying, we've got to get in line with, you know, the, there's Adobe owns the GitHub repository where I push my code. Boy, I've had some customers that had some real heartache over that. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, wait, like Adobe has all of my source code out there. Well, yeah, yeah, they do. That's, that's going to be part, you know, part of our deployment process is we deploy to an Adobe controlled Git repository. You know, there are customers that just, whoa, hold on. I'm not sure I, you know, I'm on board with that. One of them was a credit card company that we talked okay. to that was very concerned about that, right? They're like, I, yep. I'm not sure we want to do this. So um, another piece of it then is is also just to say sometimes you have, and I'm trying to, I, I'll be honest, I'm more of an ops guy than I am a developer. have been an ops guy most of my career. I sometimes wear the developer hat and I can do so, uh, but every problem I look at is an ops problem first. Right. And so, you know, I say that as a preface to say, I'm not trying to be mean to developers, but certainly as an ops guy, I sometimes look at decisions developers made and say, why on earth did you ever think that that was going to work at scale? Right. Uh, and, and as you look at going to the cloud, some of the things you have to look at is to say, are our developers skill set congruent with what's required to get yeah. things deployed and working on the cloud. You may have people who, you know, again, I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody, but who let their skills stagnate a little bit. And, you know, they, they learned AEM 5.6 and they've maybe piecemealed together the differences between 5.6 and 6.5 and they're able to get things deployed. But when you go to that cloud platform, it's, it's a whole new ball of wax and they have to really sometimes buckle down and, and, go back and resharpen that tool and figure out, oh, I've, I've really got to rethink how I approach problems at a base level. That's right. And the fl a flip side of that same um, uh, problem and coin is is the fact that 
in deploying code into AIM as a cloud service, there are definitely constraints that Adobe has put on in terms of your code quality, in terms of your test coverage and so forth to, to where they say, if it's, if it's below this threshold or if it gets a poor grade on this, on this set of tests that we're doing on it, it's actually not going up to production. Um, and in some cases you have to, you know, do, do the, I, I acknowledge my code, my code is terrible to get it to, um, to get it to dev, but, but even to, to get it to production, they're saying, yeah, this is, we're not going to allow you to override this because of the fact, obviously that, that some of this is shared and they're allowing you to, to, to pay for the service based on your inbound traffic. So even if your code is awful and it ends up spinning up, you know, 55 publishers or something like that, because it, it burns so much CPU, they still have to, that they're, you know, Adobe is internalizing that cost for it. So they, so they have to put some controls on that, which means that in a lot of cases there, there's going to be more refactor than in some cases you thought you were going to have to do in order to get it to work on the cloud service. Now, one other thing, just while we're on in ops land, um, so one thing, and this, this is something that I just see gets overlooked so often. And I, um, it's kind of my hobby horse that I ride sometimes. So I'll acknowledge that, but it's, um, monitoring and log aggregation. And this is one thing that I think it's gets overlooked way too often. It's not. So first off monitor, uh, uh log aggregation has never been a, a, a part of the product that Adobe sells you. You always, it's always, you got to bring your own, which is great because there's a lot of great aggregators out there. There's a lot of great tools to be able to get that. And depending on what your costs and your requirements and so forth are, then you pick the one that works for your company. But, um, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. When you take, take a super complicated application server that is tied into everything that you have, um, and has so many different ways that it can go wrong. So many different things that, that, uh, that have to talk to each other and so forth. And you're going to move one of those pieces to a service that you don't control the gear for there are, you need to know what's happening because there's so many new ways for your, the, the experience that your users have to be impacted or the experience that your authors have to be impacted by software changes that you make that aren't necessarily visible anymore because you don't have the, your own data center going up in smoke. So to be able to have all those logs pulled in and so forth, it, it is a big deal. Yes, AIM as a cloud service allows you to hook in your own Splunk instance and pull that in. It's fortunate because Splunk's my favorite log aggregator out there. So great. It's also the most expensive one, but you know, okay, you know, but, uh, it becomes a problem with some companies where, uh, like I've been a few companies where they just said, you know what? So we just, you know, we realized that our monitoring was terrible. So we did a big shootout. We chose Dynatrace. And so now we got Dynatrace everywhere. Good. Does Dynatrace work with the cloud service? No, it does not. No. Oh, oh. So yeah, and so you, you can't, and you can't deploy any Dynatrace gear on that because Dynatrace has this thing that it does where if it detects another APM on there, it will shut it down. New Relic is part of the uh, cloud service product. And so, yeah, there's no, just, you can't put Dynatrace on there. So in other words, if your company, your entire enterprise, all the other gear that your company runs is running Dynatrace or Datadog or something else or AppDynamics or something like that, you're going to have a, a, a poor fit now with, with with going to the, to, to a service, which you're using new relic and you're using Splunk and those are the tools. Yeah. Um, so being able to have one holistic, you know, your enterprise, you know, your EVP says, okay, give me a dashboard of everything. You're like, it's going to be two, it's going to be two dashboards and you're going to have to pay a little bit more for this other product too. So that, that is. So I, I will caveat that just a little bit and say, this is not something that Adobe loves for sure. Um, 
But we have, in a couple instances, managed to get customers' elk stacks to pretend to be Splunk for AEM oh, and had to ship the Splunk logs to the customer's elk stack and it just ingests into the customer's elk stack. It, it does take some work. There's some configuration and there's a specific plugin you have to- Like a log stash transform to, to be able to yes. just take take the inbound uh, uh, Splunk uh, heck yep. stuff it and turns, turn it in. It turns Ooh, that Splunk- that's so cool. I can't remember what they call uh, whatever the, the the Splunk agent is that yeah that, that, that the H HTTP endpoint connector the heck yeah yeah yes yeah. there you go yep yeah so there is a log stash plugin that pretends to be the Splunk HTTP endpoint connector and it will receive those messages from AEM you you just you tell Adobe it's not Splunk but we just we're just asking you to just treat it like Splunk please to ship it it's not your problem that it's not Splunk. Right. We will take care of that piece of it. And, and then it gets into the customer's elk stack and they're able to do what they want with it. So that, that is oh. one little, like, like I said, Adobe doesn't love it. And there's always a long conversation with Adobe support when we do this of Adobe saying, Hey, we want to make this very clear that it's not our fault if something falls apart here, but yep, yep. We got it. We're, we're accepting all the risk on behalf of the customer, but it's definitely a, uh, a solution there that can sometimes be implemented. That's a super lovely idea. And actually really, I. Now I'm actually going to have to go try that. I really love that. Um, okay, cool. So the okay, so here's so here's another one too, and 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 we're we've only got like seven minutes until we're at an hour, and I kind of want to see if we can somehow sneak us in there. So another one is support structure, and this is one thing that is um, that is. Uh, gosh, it's a it's a deep subject, but it's it, but it's it it, it is. Um, there's one company that I worked that, that I did some consulting for, and the entire reason why they couldn't be on AIM as a cloud service, and the entire reason they weren't on um, Adobe AIM managed services, what came down to support. And support is it, it it's it's tough. It's tough to staff, um, and it's tough because sometimes the, the the guy you get is the entire face of the company, and if he messes up, then you think that okay, this all it, all the support is bad there when it could have just been that guy's you know terrible day, but. Um, but it is it, it is it is it is a serious serious part of the of the whole mix, and um, and so when you are on AIM as a cloud service, because you, you so because of the fact that it's it's shared gear, a lot of your ticketing is going into a shared queue, and unless you're paying quite a bit for um, for your you know premier super extra platinum grande venti, they call support. it white glove support now, right? White glove. Okay, good. All right. Well, it's it. It has a couple of names that I, I can't keep up with that, but. Um, but unless you're paying for that uh, white glove support, then uh, then you're not necessarily going to get the SLA that you're used to. If you're a company which was used to, you've got you know uh, you know James and Sandeep, and they've got the pagers of doom, and that's it. You know what I mean? And I can call them up, and they're on it in three minutes. You know, sort of a thing. Um, and if they're used to that sort of response time to being able to sort out an issue, then it's it's a little bit rough to going to a shared service-based support model where you may not you know may not get the answer that you want unless you say five alarm fire everything's down sort of a thing yeah and and like you said you know sometimes what you get there is you know you may you may have got the guy who was just hired by adobe yesterday and he hadn't heard of aem a week ago right right um and and that's definitely a big part of the challenge one of the things that that we have done at RightPoint uh, as a company is to say, on top of your AEM as a cloud service offering, 
we do offer what we call a run and operate contract where we basically will be the customer advocate. So right. if you have a problem, you call me. I have the pager of doom. I like that phrase, by the way. I'd never heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't necessarily hop right on your problem and fix it, but I will be the guy that hounds Adobe over and over and over again. And I know people in Adobe and I can say, can you please just send this ticket over to Patrick? I know Patrick knows this problem. That's he right. can help you. He, he can help you figure it out. And so there, there are definitely partners that will help you in that space, but yeah. that is an added cost, right? So you're already paying Adobe for one level of support. And I, and I did have one customer who was very upset about this idea. They're like, wait, I'm paying Adobe for support. And then I'm paying you to support me in Adobe support. And I'm like, well, you know, that's, so we talked through what it was and we actually pulled up some tickets that they had filed with, uh, with us. And I showed them, this is the amount of back and forth that it took me with Adobe to get your problem resolved. Now, do you really want someone at your organization having to have that deep AEM internals conversation with Adobe? Yeah. I, I don't think you guys have the the knowledge base for it. I don't think you guys have the time and I don't think you guys have the staff. Yeah, well, being able to frame the, the problem so, uh, so that a support engineer on Adobe side can successfully deal with it also right. is a lot of the, is like, and, and so, I mean, you, you've, you've been around, you know, since before the war of 1812. So you know that, um, that like, in the old daycare days, you had to get like, you know, the, the blessing of, uh, of being able to get into the system and you had to basically prove your knowledge before they'd even let you in. And, uh, yeah, you wanted to talk to Bernard or Dave, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and, uh, yeah, right. Um, uh, and so a lot of times that is the problem though, is, is being able to have enough knowledge of how to frame the ticket so that you get the response that you, that you need. Yes. Uh, because sometimes, you know, if, if you're, if you're a customer and all you know, is that the website's down or, uh, or, um, some, some pages are showing an error and you don't know enough of like, okay, I, I think I know what this is. Okay. So now this is the actual problem. And then you know what you need to have them take internally to engineering or whatever. But, um, but yeah, no, we, yeah it's, the, it's the difference between, I don't know, some of my pages that render and the saying every page with this specific component on it is erroring out, right? That's right. A lot of times the customer is not going to know how to even get to that piece of information. Right. Or if there's one of these things where um, as a, a as an experienced engineer, you are pretty extra certain it was the service pack that broke it. Yeah. And you're pretty extra certain that there is going to need to be a factory fix that comes from that for, for, for this. Right. And you're able to prove that with, uh, prove your, your, your hunch on that to the person. Right. Whereas a lot of times, if you don't have enough info, you're, you're not, you're not going to be able to, to convince the guy on the other end, or, or it's going to take you a month to convince the guy on the other end that it was the service pack that broke it and not, not just, you know, the customer is, is, is being silly with their code or something like that. Yeah, it definitely helps when I can point to like a sling commit and I can say, look, this right here, my customer's code. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. So, so yeah, no, no, our, our, our does the same thing in terms of, in terms of layering support onto, um, aim as a cloud service. Cause it's, it, it, it's unfortunate, but, but, but it is, it is also, um, I guess, um, uh, it's, it's a needed part of the, uh, of the Adobe ecosystem at this point to be able to, if, especially if you've got needs like that, because not, not every, not every crew that runs uh, AEM is the same. And, and in some cases you, you need people who have, uh, that have been running it for a while. Cause in some cases too. Just and especially I think uh, as the cloud service matures, we'll see more and more people that are just saying, you know what, it's no longer worth it for me to keep this skill set up. 
Adobe is going to handle 99% of the cases, the other 5%, I can find a, a an arbory or a, a right point that will yep. take care of that for me. And so that, you know, those skill sets will atrophy. People will start forgetting how AEM works internally and they'll, they'll be needing more and more of that, you know, like you said, that ecosystem support. That's right. I mean, additionally, I, I've had plenty of customers where a lot of times my point of contact is now working at Adobe. So, so a lot, a lot of those guys who were the good guys were like, oh yeah, I know, I know, I know yep. who to talk to this customer. He's, a, oh, he's not there anymore. He's at Adobe. So, uh, so it, it, it's still, there's still, this is going to be a necessary part of the ecosystem, I think for some yeah. time. All right. Well, okay. Good. So now, now here we are in an hour. So, uh, I think we, I don't know that we talked about or really, you know, definitively answered the question of is, um, is it, is it still a thing for everybody? But I think that we, we hit it on enough points about uh, whether or not it's still a thing for some people. And, and some of the questions you'd have to ask yourself, right? To say, right. are we making the right decisions staying on premises yep. or are we somebody who should maybe start evaluating that cloud move? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, this has been great, Joey. And uh, yeah. I'm glad we did this and uh, uh, hope we hope we get to do another one. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, some of the things that we, we didn't cover that you had kind of laid out in the initial outline, Yeah, I'd love to get back together and, and maybe circle back on some of those. And also, you know, as we talked about previously, uh, RightPoint does have a an offering called Cord Tools that is a, a similar to a AEM as a cloud service. We, we've done some of, the, some of the same things that Adobe has done, but we help you implement those on your own hardware or in your own cloud account. I, I absolutely want to just just do one. Well, I hope like, you don't mind me throwing the plug in. No, <laughs> I absolutely don't, and because I, I I think that that is something that that deserves it deserves an episode because I've I've uh, I've actually talked about the work that you guys have put into that with a, a few of my people. They're like, wow, wow, that's a, they did a lot of work there. <laughs> so it's, yeah, there's there's parts of actually of of uh, AEM as a cloud service where I've talked to Justin Edelson. I'm like, you stole my work there, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it just is like, well, you know, you and I talked about this years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! All right, good. Yeah, let's let's definitely do this. Definitely do this. Yeah, good, man. F f future episode planning. All right, good. Well, uh, great talking to you, Joey, and until next time. Thanks, Dad. All right. Thanks.